just your reminder to subscribe. Thank you, friends. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Asking for a Friend, the podcast where we try to answer the big and small questions in life. I'm your host, Elena, and on today's episode, we gotta talk about the Golden Globes, the good, the bad, and the misogynistic. Also, by now, we have all seen that Calvin Klein ad, right? And why is gossiping so much fun? Honestly, we have so much to get into before my guest Lucia and I take it down a notch and talk about how we have found ourselves in an unhealthy relationship before on today's main topic, am I into them or am I trauma bonding? But before we do, let's get into our first segment, Have You Heard That? You guys, I'm so, I'm sick again. I don't know what I caught, but it's not COVID. I know that much, but I have had a cough for the good amount of a week now. And it's not like right now, it's just like seeping into my brain, I feel. And I have like a head, like fog, like a foggy head. What, What am I even talking about? I have like a foggy head all of the time and I wake up and I feel just like, you know, having the constant like banging on your forehead, in your forehead, in your head, whatever you want to call it. It's just exhausting. So (laughs) happy Tuesday, you guys. Um, I hope you're feeling better than I do. But nonetheless, I'm here. I'm recording. Um, That is that is all I can say that excuse me if I have to cough in between. I try to cut it out. I will probably all cut it out, but um, it's, yeah, it's still, I, I feel like it's inhibiting me talking. But nonetheless, that's none of your concern. You guys, I want to head straight into Have You Heard That? Because I have a, a gazillion notes on the Golden Globes. I didn't watch the whole thing. I want to tell you this. Have you watched the Golden Globes? Are you into the Golden Globes? Please let me know on Instagram. Send me a message. I feel that the Golden Globes, they always pass me by. Whenever they come, and, and every single year, it's the same. They are the first award show to kick off the new year. And still, it always passes me by. The morning after, I will open up social media or YouTube or whatever and see the red carpet outfits. I will see the snippets of the opening monologue and of the winners. And I'm going to get excited. At the same time, I'm thinking, oh, I didn't even know that's going to happen. But this year, this year was an absolute um, shit show. May we call it that. But I want to start with something with some rumors that got around because they have something to do with my celebrity hall pass, which is Pedro Pascal, which if you have been following the podcast, you know this, so I don't have to repeat myself. But Pedro Pascal allegedly soft launched his boyfriend, which on the one hand, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little torn. Of course, he's my celebrity hall pass. And also, I have a history of like being into guys. And then (laughs) and it turns out they're gay, Uh, which is, hey, which is so good for them. For me, I'm like, what is going on? Like, I mean, gay guys, the guys I I was into that then later like came out of the closet, which, by the way, I hate that saying no one should be should have to come out of the closet like me as a straight person i didn't go up to my parents and was like oh my god mom and dad i think i'm straight like we don't have to do that we as a straight people we don't have to do that why should people who are into the same gender why should they do it just food for thought moving along to what i was actually going to talk about so there was a blind item by crazydaysandnights.com net that franklin let his agent, like Pedro Pascal posted a picture, a cute picture of them where he's basically Franklin Latt, his manager is kissing him on the cheek. And the rumors were sparking that that's his boyfriend. And to be honest, the photo is adorable, which, by the way, doesn't have to mean anything. And so even if Pedro Pascal is gay, so what? Who the fuck cares? Like as anything for Papi Pedro. And as long as he's happy, I'm happy for him. He's still going to be my celebrity crush, even though probably if that's the case, like I have no chance at all. And if you're sitting in front of the podcast right now and you're saying, Elena, you, how would you meet Pedro Pascal? Just leave me to my Delulu thinking, okay? Being Delulu is a Salulu. And in my brain, I am going to meet Pedro Pascal one day and we're going to fall hopelessly in love with each other and 
ride off into the sunset. Pedro, if you're listening to this, call me, please. <laughs> but so yeah, that was the first thing. That was one of the first uh, blind items. If you don't know what a blind item is, because I didn't know until last year, blind items are basically celebrity rumors that are spread that come from quote unquote credible sources, but it's it's never revealed what person it is or like they have hunches, but it's basically these, it's gossip. And we're going to get into that in That's Mental as well, why gossiping is kind of fun, but also why it's addictive. So that was number one. Then a personal moment that was such a vibe to me personally was the acceptance speech of Ayu Edebiri because she was thanking all assistants in her acceptance speech for her role in The Bear. If you haven't seen The Bear, please watch it. It's two seasons out on Disney. The Bear is a phenomenal show, a phenomenal TV show about this cook that takes over the restaurant of his late brother and just transforms it. It's kind of documentary style, kind of not. It also features Jeremy Allen White. I'm going to get into that in a second. And you will catch yourself, like your heart rate being at 150 when you're watching the show because you feel like you're in it. So that's to this. But Ayu Edebiri has one of the main roles in that show. And she was thanking all assistants of the acting agents and all those studios because they would always answer her emails. And the way I felt that in my job, I was also the person answering all the emails my boss didn't want to answer or didn't respond to or just like didn't have the time. So I was always the person to answer them, to make appointments. And they were always so thankful so that actually someone doesn't only thank their agent, but especially the assistants who, let's be real, are doing the fucking work. They're doing the job. Like if you have ever worked in a corporate, you know that the most hardworking people are not the people that are at the top. They may be able to make the decisions, but the most hardworking are mostly the people who are like mid-level. Because they do all of the hard work and they actually care for those emails. They're actually excited to answer these emails and make something happen. So big ups to Ayu Edebiri. That was incredible. One more celebrity thing. And then I want to get into a little bit of like a deeper topic from the, from the Golden Globes that really irked me. And that really was, I was fuming. I shared that on social media as well. I was fuming about that. But... We have to talk about Kylie Jenner and Timmy Tim, Timothy Shalomala Bing Bong, Timothy Chalamet, and their smooch fest. They were just like two adorable puppies in love. It was basically Lady and the Tramp. That's what it looked like. If they had a spaghetti between them, I would not have, I wouldn't have thought it, it was weird. And they, there were memes galore. There was one person who kind of dubbed what they were saying because obviously they couldn't hear it. It was all mute, but it was kind of lip reading and the conversation that it was just so funny. It was so funny because it fit the movement of the lips perfectly. And they were all talking about like, Oh my God, I love your shoes. Oh my God, I love you. And it's, it's just the funniest thing ever. I'm trying to find it and then put it in the show notes, but that's not all. So we saw pictures and videos of them all throughout like the breaks, but the actual gossip here is, that Selena Gomez asked Kylie if she could take a picture on the red carpet, or I think it was the red carpet, but with Timothy and Kylie Jenner said no. Granted, if you didn't know, Kylie Jenner and Timothy Chalamet are an item. They are together. And Selena Gomez, I mean, we all know Selena Gomez. If you don't, who are you? I feel like I ask this a lot on this podcast. After that, a video showed up of one of the official cameras that were in the room. So basically at the Golden Globes, you have a lot of video cameras pointed at the audience as well. So they catch like good moments where they laugh or where they talk to each other and just mingle. And one was set on Taylor Swift. Obviously, Blondie needs to be featured all of the time because people know that she's going to bring in the viewers. And Selena Gomez was going over to Taylor and telling her about that situation with Kylie. And the reactions were insane. Like the, the facial expressions. I'm so glad they caught it on camera because at one point you could also hear, allegedly hear Selena Gomez say Timothy. So we knew what it was about. And the, my thoughts on this were, why not let Selena Gomez take a picture with Timothy Chalamet? Why not? Because it's a celebrity gala. It's a it's an award show. So celebrities will take pictures together. It doesn't mean anything. And if you're already there, why not? Why not 
cross-pollinate, I wanted to say. No, we're not going to go there. But nothing's going to happen. Like, what's the harm? You have one of the biggest stars in the world, Selena Gomez, and another bigger star who was Timothy Chalamet, who are both in the entertainment and mostly like acting industry. And then you have Kylie Jenner, who was a 30 out of 30 mogul billionaire. And what what does she have to lose? I think it's petty. I think it's petty. And I think, yeah. So I get that they talked about it afterwards at the table. And it was just, if you see the, if you see the footage, it's, 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 it's really, it's, 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 it's cute. I had a giggle. Absolutely. On to not so fun things. So if you haven't seen the opening monologue, so the opening monologue for any award show is meant to be funny. There's someone who is just saying entertaining jokes. They're roasting the audience. They're roasting the celebrities that are there. And in the past, Ricky Gervais has done it multiple times. And he's known for his very nonchalant, very, very piercing and sometimes not politically correct things to say. But at least he makes people laugh and calls out the people in the audience with a nuance that is, you understand it, but it's, it's not flat. It's really, it's, it's entertaining. Let's say that. This year's host, and I can't even remember what he was called. Something Koi, Joe Koi. Joe Koi, is that? It might be. See, that's the thing. He wasn't even memorable from his name. I didn't even know him when I saw him, but that's not to say anything about that. But in his opening monologue, he wasn't getting a lot of laughs. And he was basically bombing with every single joke that he made. So much so that I think most of the laughs that were in there came from tape. One thing that was absolutely super misogynistic, he praised the movies and everything. And then it was about Barbie. And he reduced Barbie to, oh yeah, it's a movie about... A girl with big boobs and flat feet. And the sheer physical response of the not only the women, but also the men, but of course, mainly the women in the audience was palpable, was absolutely understandable. So Selena Gomez just put her face into her hands. Emma Stone just like literally did not laugh. She Her face was like stone cold. And Florence Pugh also looked as if she was just hit in the stomach. Look, it's frustrating that in 2024, we still have to deal with that sort of blatant misogyny. Like Barbie was a movie that brought women closer together, that showed a representation of feminism that everyone could or should have been able to understand. The undermining of the colossal achievement also, not only by the movie itself, like the box office numbers were insane. But director Greta Gerwig, who put her entire cinematic knowledge and skill into this, is just absolutely shameful and outrageous. Stop giving men microphones. Like, hell, let Ricky Gervais host again. Controversial, I know. But all I give out Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, those two are insane. They're so funny. Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell, they did, um, they did an opening. They, did, they announced a category. And they were so funny, even this. Why not let them host? Have drag queens and queer comics host host those shows because they have the jokes. And I promise they'll read the room like to fucking filth without being a misogynistic asshat who blames the bombing of his jokes on the writers or like the audience and the whiteness of the people present. <sighs> My rant is almost over. It's just I am so sick and tired of male comics undermining or uh, in general men undermining achievements of women that's that's what i have to say to that and it, it makes me absolutely i was fuming and so stop giving men my microphones you know enough on that i have one more thing because before we get into that's mental and by now we all have seen the that calvin kleinette right right so jeremy allen white starred in the new calvin kleinette with an incredible video that I think broke the internet. He's basically promoting, he's the new face for Calvin Klein and he also is promoting their underwear. Obviously, Calvin Klein is mostly known for their underwear. And there was a two-minute video on Instagram that was posted there where basically he's just stripping down to his underwear on a rooftop in New York City in what I feel like is like the golden hour and all that. And he just looks absolutely hot. I cannot say it any, any other way. And I, I don't, I haven't seen if the 
sales prices, like if the sales have gone up for those underwear, but I bet they are. But so everyone's talking about it. It broke the internet. Haley Bailey, who was an influencer who was hosting the social media channels for the Golden Globes, actually told him that. And he's such a humble guy. He's also the guy from The Bear. So now you get the connection between all of this that I talked now today on Have You Heard That? And he's just such a humble guy. He's also dating Rosalia, which Rosalia, you are she's she's such a lucky girl. I love Jeremy Allen White since Shameless, where he played Lip. But then also, when I shared this on my story, I got people in my DMs where I'm like, well, he's not hot. He's just a celebrity. And here is why I went to my stories and put up a poll. I was like, we're gonna settle this once and for all. Is Jeremy Allen White hot or is he just a celebrity? And I can now confer with you guys. The people have spoken. There were over a hundred votes on this 73 percent said that he's hot so there you have it and also in between instagram deleted my story because they said it it kind of like violated community guidelines which i appealed and they put it back up and yes so jeremy allen white is certified hot and i agree i was the first person to say that there's also this theory of the ugly hot hot ugly which on a on a basis of attractiveness and um, and hotness, I think. So it's like being someone being conventionally hot and conventionally attractive. Um, Jeremy Allen White is what some people might say ugly hot because he's not conventionally attractive. Some people say they wouldn't look twice when they would pass him on the street. I beg to differ. But the same thing goes for, let's say, Adam Driver. Or for Pete Davidson, those are not men that are conventionally attractive, but they have a certain je ne sais quoi, may I say that? Or Brad Pitt, for example, he's conventionally hot. Um, Chris Evans, Chris Evans is conventionally hot. Michael B. Jordan, those are the conventionally hot people. And then you have the ugly hot people who have kind of a certain something, something interesting. And so I love that. I, I tend to go for like the, the ugly hot people because they are interesting. Do we want to know more about the ugly hot theory? I have so much more. And and I'm already talking too much. This intro is ginormous. But I just quickly, because we talked about gossiping, let's shut down. Have you heard that? We're closing this off and let's dive into That's Mental. And today on That's Mental, I want to talk about why does gossiping feel so good? We all gossip. Let's be honest. We all have gossiped in our lifetime. And sometimes we don't even see it as gossip. Sometimes we see it as just like airing it out. I mean, like, and it feels good. And I can tell you why it feels good. Because when we gossip, it's fun because we connect to someone on the same topic over your mutual insecurities. And before you scream at Spotify, yes, it is insecurities. We gossip because in that moment, we either feel that person we're talking about has something that we don't have or they do something that we don't like. And then it's always asking ourselves, why don't we like it? what does it do with us? Not what are they doing, but what does it do inside of us? That's why it's an insecurity. And that shit bleeds into every part of your life. It's fun for a second, but afterwards it will feel icky and your focus stays on the negative. So what do we do? We gossip more to get the same high. And the reason why we gossip is we don't have to change anything. Everything stays the same. Because when we gossip, we don't have to change ourselves because we can blame it on someone else. And change is hard. Change feels, change is something. If we, if we are gossiping and we know we don't have to change anything, we know the outcome. And our brain likes that. Our brain likes if we know what's happening. If we don't know what's going to happen, if we don't know the outcome, that's, that's not safe. And our brain technically, like mostly doesn't want us to be in a place where it's not safe. So, we keep on gossiping and everything stays the same and we can all stay in our mutual misery because misery loves company, right? We all know this saying, but you know what? That's not sustainable or it is, but you're going to make yourself absolutely miserable and that can't possibly be anyone's life goal. So instead, next time you feel like gossiping, ask yourself, what is actually going on? Do I really dislike that person or do they just have a quality I wish I had? or could implement more in my life. And if you catch yourself comparing yourself to that person, literally just stop. That's never going to end well. And I mean in both directions. Like whether you think, oh, I'm not as good as them, or I'm way better than them, both comparisons and both so not helpful. So instead, try this. 
Catch yourself in the comparison. Catch yourself in the gossiping. And remind yourself that it's okay when insecurities come up. And then tell yourself, they are amazing. And so am I. It feels way better. I tell you that. And remember, a little gossip is fun. Just don't let it run your life because you're too cute for that. And with that, we're going to close off That's Mental as well and take it down a notch now because my next guest is such a calming fairy and I want to end this intro with it and guide into our main topic. All right, you guys, now it's on to our favorite segment. And I want to start this part with by saying the internet is a wonderful place because otherwise I wouldn't probably have met my guest for today, even though we're both pretty sure we would have, we would have anyway, because our connection was so magnetic from the start. Is it because we're both Aquarius? Who knows? But she's a trauma-informed reintegration coach, my sister in spirit, and the person I get to talk spirituality with all day, every day. Welcome to Asking for a Friend, Lucia. Thank you. I know I'm so excited to connect with you in this way. I'm so excited that you're here. And it's the topic for today. I don't know how, but we connected over this, I think a couple of months back. It was the first time we talked about this topic. So we're going to get into it in a bit. The topic for today is, am I into them or am I trauma bonding? And so we will get into that. But before we do, Lucy, so Basically, we met and I want to get into the story how we met first because it's we're both spiritual babies. Like we are both like spiritually aligned. So do you want to get into how we got to know each other? Yeah, well, I think it's funny too. So my blood sister, her name is Elena, and so immediately I'm I was gravitated towards you. Um, but I also think I'm trying to remember because I just feel like we've always been friends. Like I have that. I know. But uh, Yoni Circle, yeah, I think it was in the some of the story. I don't remember specifically because of all the stories we've told. Which yeah. circle was our first? Um, but. Yeah, I just remember immediately feeling at home in your presence and just being like, I want to connect with her. We will, we totally vibe. And yeah, I think it's been kind of ever since then, we've just stayed in touch, like naturally, kind That's of. That's true. Family. And I feel we have to, we have to explain what Yoni Circle is. <laughs> so Yoni Circle oh, yeah. is an online storytelling. <laughs> it's not a because given. Exa- exactly. It's like, oh, Yoni and people jump to conclusions right away. So Yoni Circle is a storytelling app for women where you basically get together in groups of six and there's always a topic. And then every woman shares their story to that topic. And there, it's a no advice room or like very much environment but it's more like sharing these stories to give a sense of community and that's how we met and um as you said yeah. we immediately bonded and connected over it then we found out we both Aquarius and we both cancer rising right yeah both cancer rising and well and also i think that what really drew me to you as well was just your natural authenticity because same girl. at yoni you don't know the theme like or the topic beforehand and so it's all about how willing you are to open up in that moment kind of on the spur of the moment and i think uh that's definitely what stood out to me was you were so open to diving in and being open and kind of carrying sometimes leading the circle uh, because some people struggled more. Yeah. You make, cause when other people are open and, and vulnerable, it kind of sets the tone for others. Um, and sometimes you would end up in a circle with people that were a lot more reserved or a lot That's true. more hesitant or timid. And you kind of, I think both of us definitely share that where yeah. we kind of are not as afraid to take up that space or we kind of take it upon ourselves to lead with that vulnerability. And so I was like, okay, again, some something that brings us together. Not something that always came easy to me, truly, because right. I, don't, I don't know why. Like I, I always find myself, even when I think back to high school, I always found myself being in group projects. I didn't never, I never wanted to be the spokesperson for the group. But for whatever reason, I always ended up being the person to present or something like that, or like leading the group. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't feel so uncomfortable about it. But I think both of us kind of stepped into this. And I think Yoni was a big part of that. Yeah. 
Uh, I definitely, I mean, I think internally I always am floundering and freaking out, but externally it somehow comes across as different. (laughs) So I agree with you. I don't think intern. Yeah. (laughs) You have such a, yeah, you have really such an aura where the same thing that you said about me, I can only give this back because you have on the one hand to me, you're such a fairy, like you're such a fairy, (laughs) mystical, mythical human being. And on the other hand, to me, you are the ultimate calm. That's why when, when we talk, I always feel there's no judgment and there's always room for emotions without it getting out of hand. I don't know if that's the if that's the right way to explain it, but I just feel very safe in your presence. That's what I want to say. Oh, yeah, I think it's the yeah the same with you, and I think that's why we're friends, and that's why I think we've so you know remained friends even though we've never met in person. So that's it. This is a virtual I, it's friendship. So funny. <laughs> It's so funny because that's what I wanted to say as well. We have never met in person. It was always like in passing. And when I was in the States last year, I wanted to come to Austin. And then for whatever reason, um, things just didn't line up. Uh, there was there was issues with, I think it was also Mercury retrograde. So electronics and communication was just really not working out. And so, but I trust that at some point, we will meet in person. It's it's oh, going to yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's going to be Yeah, beautiful. I think that was just, Yeah, that was just a time I think I was also just in a place where I was super cocoony and just yeah. overwhelmed with any sort of um hosting or anything. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for the time when we do actually get to meet in person because there too. will be one. Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. You still have to come to, to Europe. So I'm uh, waiting for that day as well. And I will come back to the States eventually. But now we already talked for like five, six minutes and we haven't even gotten into know, the questions. I know, I know. So I asked you or I sent you two questions basically to brainstorm about beforehand. The first one being, Lucy, who's your celebrity hall pass? It was funny. I was talking to my partner, Polly, about this earlier. I was like, I don't really know. And then he was like, yeah, you do. And it was totally Benito, which is Bad Bunny. Um, Yeah, classic. And Polly kind of resembles him, which is kind of like why I think he's okay with it. Because he's like, yeah, it kind of looks like me. So it's whatever. (laughs) Now that you say that, and that's true. I can see that. Also, (laughs) I think it's super... It's super funny, like also that you're like, oh, I don't know who it is. <laughs> and it's a good partnership if your partner's like, yeah, well, yeah, you do. I, I have you. I, yeah. I have heard you talk <laughs> yeah. about it. <laughs> okay, let's get into the second question. What is an unpopular opinion you have? I think that socializing is overrated uh, lately. Not to say, Not to say that meaningful relationships and intentional communities aren't necessary and important, But I think the pressure, especially to kind of go out every weekend or have plans um, and always go and do stuff with friends, even if you're not feeling up to it, even if it's kind of that superficial, you know, acquaintancy relationships, Mm -hmm. I just, they, they drained me at this point in my life. And so, I don't know, I like staying home. I'm a homebody. I do go out here and there and go support my friends, but yeah. Not if you don't have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always been this way or has this, was this kind of a side effect of the pandemic? Um, I think the pandemic and also just shifting within myself, the pandemic yeah. definitely triggered in me uh, a bit of agoraphobia and mm-hmm. it made me a lot more anxious leaving my house and a lot more anxious in social settings. Yeah. Um, on top of that, the level of kind of, I don't know, this sounds very American, but like shootings uh, in public spaces also really heightened that that anxiety and always made me feel unsafe and on edge in any social environment. So that on top of that, and then just in general, I find myself really yearning for, you know, spending my time with people who intentionally connect with me and are actually interested in what I have to say and actually interested in forming a real relationship. And I think a lot of the time when you go out socially, not to knock it again, there's always a time and place for going out and just having fun. Uh, But a lot of time you just find yourself kind of having empty conversations, conversations Mm -hmm. that you can 
the person's not really listening or you're just being drunk spoken at. And yeah. um, I don't know, it just feels very empty and draining to me. Again, time and place for everything. But <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think this need for deep conversation or this aversion to kind of shallow conversations or like, you know, when it's, it's like, what are we talking about right now? I think this has also to do with being Aquarians. We're not made for the superficial stuff. But then again, we're not making our zodiac sign our complete <laughs> personality. That's not how this works. Like if you're always late and you know that you're always late, like that is something you have to work on and to respect other people's time. But I think us as Aquarians, like it's it's kind of hard because I have the same thing. I love, and for me, it was definitely since the pandemic. I used to be such, I, I used to go out so much and go partying and all, and all yeah. that. But during the pandemic, I realized I don't have to fill every waking hour with excitement. And maybe that was something that I felt even before that. But it became very clear during. I think I was just scared because I have a history of depression. And I was really scared when we went into the pandemic that it would get worse because I was only spending time by myself. I was really glad that I had my best friend living next door. But that's something that I was really afraid of. And once that did not set in because I was still keeping up with friends and I realized, oh, being by myself is not that bad. And now mm -hmm. social situations, I was at FL well at a farewell party yesterday and it was incredible. It was so nice. I loved connecting with everyone there. It's, it was so much fun. And today I just needed time by myself. I needed to be with myself. So I totally get that. I, I think that's a, an absolutely, I don't even think that that should be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think, it's, I think <laughs> it might would. not be. I just, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just, I also feel like internally it happens a lot inside my head. This is like what I'm yeah. thinking about. And if, when I'm actually in social settings again, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that I'm feeling mm -hmm. this way internally because I am fully present. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion. Maybe we all carry this internally and we're just not sharing it. <laughs> we all would rather so if you, Yeah. So if you're listening to this episode, guys, please share with us. Are you also someone who values their alone time more than going into social situations? We would love to know. Maybe we can. This is a this is a safe space and this is a club. We can then <laughs> all come together and be exactly, the anti-social. There are shirts, right? The anti-social social club. <laughs> That's, Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's us now. We're going to join that club all together. But yeah, thank you so much for a your celebrity hall pass and also your unpopular opinion. I think it's time we dive into our topic for today. We have a lot to talk about. So again, we're talking about am I into them or am I trauma bonding? First of all, what is trauma bonding? Do you want to take that? <laughs> I was going to say that's like such a heavy um, question. Am I into them or am I trauma bonding? Um, I think to me, when I think of trauma bonding, it's behavioral and there's also power dynamic. Those are like the two things that stand out to me um, yeah. and conditioning. So as far as a definition, I just feel like it's an unhealthy a uh, form of attachment that happens and that you can kind of find yourself in the cyclical uh, behavioral pattern that is not healthy towards you or and the other person. Um, that being said, I think it can look different based on different dynamics that yeah of like who you're dating, who's present. Yeah. And it's not always just romantic relationships. That is very true. I found um, a little diagram um, on Instagram. So trauma bonds, for example, could be rescuing, enabling, saving each other. So basically, how do you, you're looking for your savior. Chronic fear of abandonment. So you're maybe you're clingy. Maybe you get anxious whenever that person isn't texting you back in time. Then another one is you betray yourself and your needs to be chosen. So you put yourself as like number two and put your partner or your friend or whoever it is that you have a trauma bond with. And in this episode, of course, we, we're talking relationships. So you put their needs above yours. The next one would be keeping score. 
and using intimate knowledge against each other. And then another one is emotional addiction to each other, like a fear of separation. So you always maybe have to check back with your partner if something is okay. And as you said, the power dynamic, right? Like one person... And that, I think that goes into the enabling, saving and rescuing each other. It's like you you make yourself dependent on another person. Have you ever been in, in a situation like that? Uh, yes, probably a few times. I think in the moment, I didn't necessarily see it. And I yeah, think even same. now reflecting, reflecting on those relationships uh, because you kind of romanticize or find yourself so much in the um delusion of whatever you're trying to cling and hold on yeah. to in that relationship um that it's really hard for me to really remember details because i think i was so not it's so it's really fascinating how yeah i don't know how the brain your works. mind works to protect you yeah it's almost as if it's trying to protect us in in the long run. And it's like we're gonna erase your memories so you don't have you so you don't have trauma afterwards. But then again, it kind of enables us whenever we get into a new relationship. We're like, what are red flags? Right. Uh, what? Yeah, we we kind of tend to forget then. Like, what were the biggest red flags you ever? Or like, let's go from what was the smallest red flag you ignored to what was the biggest red flag. There was one relationship specifically where he was always getting triggered um, mm -hmm. and it seemed very minuscule, like little things would irritate him. And so I would immediately censor myself or kind of mediate or mitigate my own behavior. And that seems very little in the moment, right? It's like, oh, that's valid. He's uncomfortable or that irritates him or whatever. I'm being conscientious. I'm being courteous. Yeah. But over time, it turned into me completely kind of shutting down who I was. And instead of naturally being, instead of just expressing myself or being present or whatever, I was completely kind of a shell of who I was and just yeah. terrified and walking on eggshells of saying the wrong thing. And so that was one that kind of slips in there and kind of grows. Yeah. Um, the smallest. And the biggest red flag, the, probably the in-your-face one, uh, was when, yeah, his his friends not liking me and then him Ooh. not having my back in that um, and kind of jumping on that judgment and criticism bandwagon. And I took Oof. it because it was more than just one person as, yeah. oh, maybe some there is something to this. You know, maybe some, yeah. something is wrong with me. Um, and that was kind of blatant in my face. And I was like, no, they're helping me understand myself. <laughs> Isn't know? that crazy? They're but probably, uh, exact, yeah, no, but in like your gut feeling was probably like, mm, something is off. But then the amount of, especially when feelings are involved and when we're trauma bonding, I think that's when our feelings override our gut feeling. When there's the need to be close to someone, where's the need to be validated, the need to be loved. And that can sometimes or often, I know this from so many, from so many, not only women, from so many men and women that I know, friends of mine, people I've met, like acquaintances, whenever it comes to the topic of relationships, I think it's so common. And a lot of times people don't see that they're trauma bonding because they think they mistake an attachment and a dependency on someone as love. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, I we're socially conditioned to kind of seek out and become very familiar with these patterns and these dynamics, right? Think about in school, you want a good grade. Yeah. And when you earn that grade, you get recognition. And I was the teacher's pet in school. I was a straight A student. I wanted all of that immediate recognition, approval, like, look at me. Do you see me? And so that was normal. I, you know, even with my mother, again, like that dynamic of if I do my homework, if I do this, if I put all this effort in, I can control how I'm viewed. I can control that, how I'm received by someone else. And then that kind of carried over into those interpersonal relationships and yeah. relationships with, you know, romantic relationships where I was like, oh, what do I need to do? What is, wh how do I get that A? How do I get their approval? How do I get their love? Oh, I, that's, I'm doing something wrong. And so it just translated that way. So it's very normalized. I mean, no wonder yeah. we all kind of fall into it. It's kind of. Exactly. Instead yeah, of, 
Yeah, and socially conditioned. And instead of really asking ourselves, why am I questioning my actions so much? And if that person, if if I was the only person here, would I still think that way? If no one else's opinion would weigh on this, how would I feel about it? And that's what I think we don't do. In those relationships, we always think, oh, how is that person thinking about me right now? Instead of, and I tell this to whenever I have a friend or like me, myself, like when I go on dates, the amount of times I have caught myself afterwards and I was like, oh my God, like hopefully he thought that I was, that, that I was pretty or that I was funny or that I was interesting. And then I completely disregarded the fact of like, did I even like the person? So that's how I know a lot of times where it comes. I don't want to say like I'm trauma bonding right then and there, but it goes into that direction. It has a tendency towards this. Whereas when I went on a date and afterwards I'm like, oh, he was really nice. And I I liked what, what he did and I felt good. I felt comfortable. And that's a big thing. Feeling comfortable around someone, big green flag, such a huge green flag. And I think one of my, one of my, best first dates that person made me feel so comfortable and it was you know these dates where you they just keep on going where they just you start off somewhere and then it's like spontaneous and you go somewhere else and and then one person's like hey do you want to do this yeah, you and don't want it to just, end exactly and that that's what happened in the end it turned out um that there were a bunch of red flags that I then after the, after that disregarded. Yeah. It's like I was like, no, what red flags? <laughs> I don't, I don't see that. What? I don't know what you're talking about. But I was constantly anxious afterwards, and yeah. that was the worst feeling. And I only realized it after I got out of it when friends of mine told me, "Don't you remember?" Like I was, I was sad about it, and I said, "Oh, it's, it's, it's a, it was such a good time." And then my friend sat me down, and she's like dude, you were anxious the whole entire time. You, you're, I really had, um, anxiety attacks that came back and I didn't have anxiety attacks for the longest time. So they came back and it was like more than one time when I called her up and was like, I, I don't know what to do. Like I, I'm in this anxious spiral. And she's like, don't you remember that? I was like, fuck, yeah, I totally. Mm. And, but I was so blinded by this need to be loved. Right. Well, it's that, I mean, I think that they referred to it as uh, cognitive distortions in the Mm -hmm. world of uh, trauma bonding. But I just think of it as romanticizing. Like I just, I feed into that romanticization and like, oh, that, you know, I can justify this. I can explain it away. I can lead with my over um, understanding and let me just find explanations. And I would create whole narratives that were probably yeah. not even remotely <laughs> true just so that I could live with what was happening or, or excuse what was happening. Yeah. Um, but there was something else that came to mind in what you were sharing, which was about um, comfort. And I think that yeah. this brings us to a little bit of the complexity here too. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like there is comfort in the familiar and sometimes the familiar is not healthy. And like, sometimes we kind of stay stuck in these cycles because there's that familiarity and that comfort. And what I found now that I'm in a healthy relationship is that sometimes healthy relationships are boring and kind of like that, that steady, stable stagnancy that doesn't have those high highs and those low lows and that really kind of, yeah, tumultuous, chemically addictive uh, pattern and dynamic that we can get stuck in, in a trauma bond. Do you also think that we have this tendency to want the adventure to, and I call it, I call it adventure, you will see in a second, but like, do you think sometimes we're, we're so stuck on this adventurous kind of move like into a relationship because we grew up on rom-coms, Disney movies, where it's always this, it's always the princess that has to be saved. It's always the romanticize. Is it romanticization? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So it's always the romanticization, if that is a word, um, that happens right. in those movies. So we always grew up with rom-coms and there's a lot of these rom-coms, they didn't age well. And I feel like especially us as 
as millennials, as people who grew up in the 90s, with like in the height of the rom-coms and the teen rom-coms, we were shown this kind of image of we have to be wooed and our prince is waiting for us. And do you think that comes into account as well? Of course. Yeah. And not only that, but also that kind of trope that if he's mean to you or if he teases you, he likes you and has a crush on I hate you. That. That's to- that's taught to us very early on. And so again, we're socially conditioned to kind of be prepped for these dynamics. And so when it comes yes. in, we normalize it, we justify it, we say, oh, well, he he likes me. He's been mean because he can't um, bring himself to t- get in touch with his actual feelings. Like he's scared. You know, I would justify and explain away all of this. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, look, going back and rewatching some of these movies, I cringe and I'm like, oh my God, this is so unhealthy. <laughs> like, it is. It, no, no, no. Exactly. feel the same way. And the justification of exactly what you said this if he's mean to you he likes you bullshit absolute bullshit that is some toxic masculinity shit that is some internalized like this this it makes me so mad because it puts the blame again on women it it's like you have Mm -hmm. to be able to go through this you have to be able to endure this because that's only that's the only way the man knows how to show you love. And by the way, not a fact. It's so much mm-hmm. more attractive if there's someone that can hold space for you, if there's someone who's clearly communicating, if there's someone who just coming back to this again makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel safe. And I this what you said as boring like <laughs> like a stable relationship is boring. It always depends. If we're used to having the tumultuous, the drama, of course, being in a relationship where there is limited amount of jealousy or where you're communicating openly, that is just not something that we're being shown in societal, like in society, in the media. I mean, we grew up on gossip magazines. Like, I know. <laughs> don't get me started on the 90s and 2000s that was like no wonder all of us have problems with body like body image issues like there's looking back mm-hmm. have you seen this and there was a callback to i think people magazine or was it us weekly something like that from 2007 or something where jessica simpson was on the cover and she was like in in like a in super nice like flared jeans and a top and the headline would be like jessica got fat or something like that she literally back then she wasn't fat she not an ounce not at all she was a normal sized woman again just look to what how we're being conditioned socially what messages we're receiving i mean all of that's gonna sink in and like you said a lot of the time we do kind of as women especially feel the need to do the emotional labor for men in that relationship, right? Like I need to help him. I need to guide him. It's up to me. And he's, you know, a man, he doesn't know this or, and I will tell you this, it, men are fully capable. They're really smart too. Newsflash, you know, like they're empowered too. And they're totally capable of doing the work themselves. Um, And so, yeah, I just feel like, again, in those, that was my, that was always what I justified, how I justified um, the unhealthy abuse in the, in the kind of trauma bonds I found myself in was always like, no, he doesn't understand. And I would kind of, diminish his ability to be aware of what was happening and me being like, I need to help him see. And that was how I kind of, yeah, justified all of that and stayed in those relationships. And it wasn't until I was out that I looked back and I'm like, not only was I delusional because I was completely writing a whole narrative that wasn't true. um, It just wasn't healthy at all. Yeah, And it wasn't my place to do the labor. No, exactly. And there's this constant need to prove ourselves. If he isn't as communicative, it's like, oh, it, I, I may, we're questioning ourselves. Maybe I'm not communicating well enough. So the, as you said, the emotional labor lies with the woman a lot of times. So, and I think there is a rise in men who are becoming more conscious, who are stepping out of the toxic masculinity paradigm and into the healed masculine. And I think that's, 
this is probably a good time to check out what is an authentic connection. So if you're really into them or if it's a trauma bond. So we already talked about the trauma bonds, like the rescue and saving, like the power dynamic, the betrayal of yourself to always accommodate the partner. So the authentic connection is, for example, learning, witnessing and evolving together. So really, and that comes down to connection and to communication, I feel. I always look to conflict resolution. How yeah. do you guys move through arguments? That's where mm-hmm. you really kind of see what direction are we heading in? Yes. Um, yeah. What kind of pattern or dynamic are we in? And is it going to change or is it going to kind of stay that same way? But yeah. yeah conflict yeah, is there a lot of understanding? Is there the from both sides, whether you're in a same-sex relationship, whether you're in a heterosexual relationship, whatever right. it may be, it it comes down to are you blaming each other or are you both even in the midst of like heightened emotions, are you able to communicate and even just maybe take a break and say, "Hey, this is not this is not um to a time. Yeah. yeah. Like this is not the, t- that was a big thing in uh, my current relationship is what we learned is we learned how e- we each, what we each need when we're in heightened emotional states. So yeah. it's hard because he's different than I am. He needs yes. time and space to kind of deescalate himself think and process and gather his emotions. Whereas I'm ready. I need, I need to figure it all out right now. I'm like, let's fix this immediately. So our conflict resolution and how I know we're in a healthy, you know, connection is where we both grew to understand what each other needs. And so I give him some space and time and he affirms me in that moment. Hey, I need some space and time. I'm not disappearing, but I need, I need, and this is not the time. And so we both give each other what we need in that moment. And that came from learning through fighting, right? Through those arguments. Exactly. Um, whereas in other relationships that were more kind of trauma bondy, I would be shut down and there would be no resolution. It would yeah. be, I'm the dramatic one. I'm too needy. I'm too this. I'm yeah. The gaslighting. That is how you also can tell that you're in a trauma bond. If there's gaslighting, if that person is constantly uh, invalidating your experience and constantly telling you you're being dramatic. I didn't say that in all of this. I mean, the list goes on and on, but yeah. So one way you know that you are into them and that you're in a healthy, authentic connection is communication, learning, witnessing, evolving together. The next one would be the partner's work to create safety with each other. And we touched upon this already. If you feel safe around that person and not only when you're with them, but also when you're apart from them, let that be in the early stages of mm-hmm. a relationship or even in the get to know phase. If you feel safe and you know, you're not constantly like feeling wired up and feeling like you're just like you're, you're anxious the whole time, basically, that is a good sign. Right. I think the important thing with that one, I think, is reminder that it's okay to have a life outside of your partner. And I think that comes with the safety, feeling safe enough to do that. Because in past relationships, I know I was shamed. There's a lot of jealousy and control there of what I was doing when I wasn't with my partner or that fear of, oh my God, is he going to get mad at this or that? And now it's like, you know, he's like, oh yeah, go do that with so-and-so and and he does his art thing and you know it's okay to have that separate time so yes definitely the safety piece of together and apart yeah there's trust i feel like that's it right like you trust your partner to have a life because they had a life before that as well so and if if that is not your person then this relationship or this connection won't last. But then it's also, I know we we are sad about it then because whenever we're only human and whenever emotions are involved, it is hard to let go of someone that you already pictured to be a part of your life for the rest of your life. But then to realize, hey, like it was for a reason. It definitely was. So the next one is we honor our own needs, limits and each other. And I think that goes needless into into that last point. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that we have learned to do, too, is kind of wrapping all of it up because um, it kind of touches on each of the ones you just said is whenever 
one of us is not feeling heard or one of us is feeling triggered by the other, we always try to word it in the story I'm telling myself is about what the other person's doing so that we can kind of have that space to hear and honor each other's experience because sometimes there is a miscommunication. Sometimes he's misunderstanding what I'm saying, but he's telling himself a certain story. And in order for me to understand his experience, there's that and then vice versa. So that's also a tactic and technique that helps. Um, yes. And something that we both practice. Again, we both practice. Thank you. Exactly. And that actually goes into next one. The next one is curiosity, acceptance, and the ability to hold space for each other. So if you're asking yourself, am I trauma bonding or am I in or am I into them? Really be honest with yourself. How how many percent are you being asked questions and vice versa? So if you're the one constantly wanting to inquire about your partner or the person you're dating, but there's no reciprocation, then there's something off because apparently that other person doesn't really want to know more. So, and if you then become more invested into it, so you're asking more because you think you need to work harder for that person to be into you. Mm -mm -mm -mm. There's like, if, if what you're doing to begin with, (laughs) there's no need to work harder because that person will not be able to give you more. So when you find that there's curiosity from your partner, that's an authentic connection. If they remember the smallest details about you, when they remember when, I don't know, what your favorite flower is uh, where you like to go for breakfast if it's the smallest things up to like when your birthday is your zodiac sign i saw this tiktok there was this um it was a girl and she she stitches videos of like the cutest things of like healthy masculinity and there was a guy and he made a whole list and he kept on filling that list of things his girlfriend loved from like the smallest things to like the biggest ones. And another guy had a list of every single product that his girlfriend uses, for example, skincare, but also um, reproductive health and all of this, like tampons and all that. So whenever he would go to the store and his girlfriend would ask, hey, can you bring me this and that? He would have pictures so he would exactly know what he needed to get. And it's these small things. I love that. Yeah. The one caveat I will say in this is that isolated moments are also, again, that's why I always kind of look at it with patterns and behavior over time, because in trauma bonds, it's not all bad. Like there's definitely that cycle of, um, you know, rewarded behavior or that kind of really nice things that we all cling to. And, and especially when things get bad. So, um, yeah, just a reminder to not just isolate those good things. Not that they're oh, no. necessarily bad, but yeah. No, exactly. Pattern. There has to be a certain amount of of just... Consistency. <laughs> consistency, exactly. Because especially in the early stages, of course you want to make a good impression. And so in the first, it's like, that's why they call it the honeymoon phase. Like, let's be honest. Because mm-hmm. we are just putting all our effort into it, but it should it, it shouldn't be like a an up and then it just like it ebbs. It should it should be there can be an up, but then just keeping it steady, keeping it steady. And the last yeah. one on this list for authentic connection is predictability, security, peacefulness that can feel boring. So you already said that. Mm-hmm. So this is literally on the list here, but I think peacefulness is a good word. Yeah. The peace, I mean, that to me feels safe, like the ability to just kind of be and be at peace yeah. and feel safe and not on edge. It's, um, But yeah, boring, that was the big part for me that was hard to transition because I had to yeah. recondition myself from that. I was so used to kind of that passionate whirlwind. And so when I wasn't in that, I did find myself even kind of trying to recreate that dynamic. And so I also had to reflect on my own behavior out of outside of those past relationships um, that I was kind of contributing that was not healthy, that was kind of me carrying learned um, dynamics from the past that was not serving me. So also you have to acknowledge, yeah, the the role that you play and maybe 
ways in which we sometimes carry those outdated or those um, tendencies and patterns from the past that are not healthy. Um, and so that was hard for me to kind of settle down and and realize that slow and predictable. And although it might not be as exciting as the high highs and the low mm-hmm. lows, um, it it's safe and it's peaceful and yeah, um, it's definitely still fun. Like again, yeah, I feel like we're talking about something so complex in like very simplified ways, but yeah. Yes. I think maybe as a last question, how did you do that? How were you able to switch from coming from trauma bond relationships to now a stable and peaceful relationship. And I, and I want to cut boring out of this because who says what is boring, you know? So how did you do this? How did you sit with yourself and also reflect on and change your own ways? Yeah, I think a lot of work, a lot of like inner work, a lot of reflection, a lot of patience Um, and a lot of just being open to change and also just reading. I mean, I'm a learner the same way you're a learner. I love reading about all the ways in which we can get to know ourselves, reacquaint ourselves, ground within ourselves, um, and having those honest conversations of, hi, who am I? What do I like? What do I not like? What works for me? Where do I feel the most like myself? And then kind of moving outside of myself to see, okay, what's around me? How does this fit in? Um, And part of that does require you to take that responsibility of the role you play in your world too, and look at your own behaviors and tendencies and be able to call them out or recognize when they're not serving you. Um, And that requires also grace, giving yourself grace because Uh, some of my behaviors and patterns were not healthy and Mm -hmm. I had to look and give myself grace of like, okay, well, how did you learn those? And then you remind yourself, I learned them from other people that treated me a certain way. And so again, being understanding, um, and patient with yourself, but yeah, a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It does require that effort. Let's say someone who's listening right now, they're in a relationship or they started dating someone and they don't know if they're trauma bonding right now or if it's an authentic connection. What would be your advice, what they could do right now to find out or like to sit with themselves, to reflect on themselves? Uh, Just to do a check-in, ask yourself kind of overall what, really lights you up about the relationship kind of what do you like what are you holding on to and then kind of look and have that hard conversation with yourself about what isn't um, helpful and i know that one of the things that i did when i was first really waking up to one of my relationships that was definitely a trauma bond and not healthy um, was i made a list of all the very real things real mean things he said to me. And I wrote Mm -hmm. them all down on a piece of paper. And anytime I would go to romanticize, I'd look at that list again and remind myself, oh, that's like really awful, awful mean things. So um, again, like I think everyone's a little different. So what is going to be accessible to them might look different, but just starting with checking in with yourself, whatever that may be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What what's working? What's not working? As simple as that. Um, what are those patterns? Are you happy? You know, what is making you happy? What's not making you happy? Yes, and I think one thing I would add to this is have a good friend that really knows you, and that's not just going to say yes and amen to everything. Have that person with you, and have them as a sounding board because they are going to be honest with you, and so chances are that person knows you better if you're in the beginning stages of getting to know someone or dating someone or being in a relationship that person knows you longer than that other person you're dating does and they also feel like that's important that's why it's important to have a friend because they come from a different perspective they are there not because of an emotional bond but they're there because of a friendship so that is a different and different thing. And I know that my friends have helped me through these 
through these relationships and through these moments and have reminded me of like, this is not how you're, how do you deserve to be treated? And in the times when I yeah. didn't see it for myself. Yeah. And that being said, I'm, I'm someone that I struggle with opening up and reaching out to yeah. friends. And um, so if that feels overwhelming and like too much, something that also helped me uh, was online resources. Also just mm -hmm. starting to look at videos um, about kind of what trauma bonds are or those dynamics. Also the national domestic violence hotline. I used to work yeah. there and um, they all have really great resources and you can call in for free and talk to someone and talk anonymously to someone about what you're going through and kind of have that yeah. sounding board that is a little more um, removed from your life. So that feels, I know for me, that always felt a lot more accessible in those moments. Um, also because I was afraid of judgment from my yeah. friends. And so um, doing that, they also um, have a lot of charts on their website too about Amazing. what is healthy, what is unhealthy. And so again, those always felt accessible to me because it was less having to yeah. have someone close to me look at me and I always get like yeah no <laughs> I was just like no please yeah. don't talk to me but I will put that in the show notes for sure so um, people can check yeah. it out because I feel like this is really important and also just know as like a last word just know that even if you just if you discover that you are in a trauma bond right now as Lucia already said be graceful with yourself. Show grace for yourself. It is okay. You always have the chance to decide differently. And even if you decided for the same pattern again, for the same paradigm, you always have a chance to choose again. So there's no use in you being just hard on yourself then and shaming yourself, judging yourself. It's about showing yourself grace and to say, okay, now I, I caught it. I caught it and now I can act from that point of view. So that's really important. Lucia. Yeah. In every episode, I also ask all my guests what they're asking for a friend. So what are you asking for a friend right now? How do you get over a friend breakup? I love this that's question. Really and I, I, I want to get into this so badly. I have this plan for a future episode because we had an episode already where it's like, how do I break up with a friend without hurting their feelings? So we had that episode, but I love this question and I would love to take it with me. And I'm also going to put this on the story. So if you listen to this and you listen to it on this Tuesday, please check out my story and write down how do you get over a friend breakup? Because in my opinion, that is one of the hardest things ever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still processing my own friendship breakup and I'm like, oh. how do I, how do I move yes. on from this? Because it's, it's different. The platonic is friendship so different. is different than, yeah, yeah the romantic. Definitely. Thank you so much for bringing this question with you. Yeah. Thank Yay. you for having me so, and letting of me. Of course. Speak. Oh my God. Absolutely. So where can everyone find you? Please tell us so everyone can check you out. Um, my website, which is lajunawellness.com, um, spelled Lujuna, but I pronounce it the Spanish Latina way, which is Lujuna. Um, but yeah, wellness.com, lajunawellness.com. Amazing. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. So everyone can check that out. So this brings us to the end of the episode. And that means it's your turn. What are you asking for a friend? Put it in the question box below as always, or send them to me on Instagram at Elena Megan. I always love hearing from you and getting into all of your questions because they're really good ones. And I cannot wait to discuss them with my guests. This podcast comes out every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you're listening to your podcast. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much again, Lucia, for being part of this episode. And I see all you guys next week. Bye.